If you have a Bible, Numbers chapter 1, all right, Numbers chapter 1 is where we're headed. Go ahead and open up there right towards the beginning of the book. Um, and, and while you're opening there, uh, this is the first Sunday of Lent, the season that's leading up to Easter. Uh, but for a moment, I want to backtrack to Christmas time, all right? Uh, this past Christmas, Caitlin's grandmother brought a game for the family to play together where we had to identify Christmas songs from these altered titles. All right, so you would be given this obscure title uh, and try to figure out what Christmas song it's referring to. And so here's a few examples. I want to see if you guys can guess them. All right, Here, here's one. Metallic Resonance. Silver bells, that's a good one. Jingle bells is another one. Resonating metal, right? All right. Here's another one. Terrestrial elation. Joy to the world, right? You got the world, the you know, terrestrial uh, area. And then elation, joy, joy to the world, terrestrial elation. All right, here's another one. This one's getting really fun. A cry of nocturnal transcendence. Oh, holy night, right? There you go. You're catching on. And now this last one I love. Um, the enchanted ground of darker days. It's a little more challenging. Winter wonderland, right? Wonderland, enchanted ground, wonderland, and then the days get darker in winter. So it's the enchanted ground of, one of, of darker days, all right? This is how the game works, right? You alter the titles and you try to come up with, man, what in the world is this saying? Some are harder than others. This game was a lot of fun to play, but I think it, it points out just how important a title can be. I mean, just think what effects this would have if these were movie titles instead of song titles, right? I mean, Jingle Bells sounds like a, a playful musical that you might go to, but Metallic Resonance, this sounds like an action movie, right? I mean, get ready. You know, it's, it's going to be action-packed. Joy to the World sounds like it might be a heartwarming drama, but Terrestrial Elation sounds like it might be some sort of sci-fi blockbuster, right? And then, you know, Winter Wonderland sounds like a fun family movie, but the enchanted ground of darker days sounds like some kind of experimental indie film, you know, that might just sweep the awards at the Sundance Film Festival or something like that, right? I mean, there's a lot in a title that sets your expectations and clues you in to the genre of what you're about to experience. Maybe you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, or you shouldn't judge a movie by its title, but a title does something to either pique your interest or send you away, right? Now, I think this is what has happened with our passage there, Numbers chapter 1, right? The title of the book of Numbers kind of set your expectations that this book is probably just going to be a bunch of long lists of records and tallies and, well, numbers, right? And if you only read the first chapter, then you'd be right. The first chapter does have a lot of lists and 
tallies and numbers. But here's the thing. The book is so much more than that. Did you know that Numbers is not the original title of this book? In the Hebrew Bible, the title of this book is Bamidbar, which is the Hebrew phrase for in the wilderness. In the wilderness. It comes from verse 1. In the wilderness. Bamidbar. And that's actually a much more accurate title for the book. And Numbers. Right? I mean, Numbers describes chapter 1, but this whole story, the book of Numbers, is the story of God's people in the wilderness. But we come across the book of Numbers, and it just kind of throws us off. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I was given the choice to go see a movie called Numbers, or a movie called In the Wilderness, I know which one I want to go see. It's not Numbers. All right? Right? I mean, in the wilderness is this action-packed adventure. And that's what we find in this book. It begins with Israel's departure from Mount Sinai, where they've been camping out ever since the exodus from Egypt. And the book ends with their preparation to enter the promised land. And all that is in between is the story of their journey in the wilderness. And so last week, we looked at Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness, which the season of Lent is modeled after, these 40 days leading up to Easter. And so for the rest of the season of Lent, I want to journey together in the wilderness story of the book of Numbers. And today we are starting with the beginning where we find that long list in chapters 1 and chapter 2 that give the book its numbers name. But as we look at these texts, once we get past our initial resistance, I want to consider the big picture. Because I think the instructions and the lists in these first two chapters might actually have something to say to us today as we enter the season of Lent, as we enter our own wilderness. So uh, I don't actually have the text on the screen uh, because I'm going to read a few portions of chapters 1 and 2. So I want you to follow along uh, or listen closely, all right? So Numbers, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, and the tent of meeting, on the first day of the second month, in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of the whole congregation of Israelites, in their clans, by ancestral houses, according to the number of names, every male individually from 20 years old and upward, everyone in Israel able to go to war. You and Aaron shall enroll them company by company. A man from each tribe shall be with you, each man the head of his ancestral house. And these are the names of the men who shall assist you. Buckle up. From Reuben, Elizer, son of Shedur. From Simeon, Shalumiel, son of Zerushadai. From Judah, Nashon, son of Amenadab. From Issachar, Nephanel, son of Zuar, 
from Zebulun, Eliab, son of Helon, from the sons of Joseph, from Ephraim, Elishama, son of Amihud, from Manasseh, Gamaliel, son of Padazar, from Benjamin, Abidan, son of Gideoni, from Dan, Ahizer, son of Amishadai, from Asher, Pagiel, son of Okron, from Gad, Elisaph, son of Deol, from Naphtali, Ahira, son of Enon. These were the ones chosen from the congregation, the leaders of their ancestral tribes, the heads of the divisions of Israel. Moses and Aaron took these men who had been designated by name, and on the first day of the second month, they assembled the whole congregation together. And they registered themselves in their clans by their ancestral houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and upward, individually, as the Lord commanded Moses. So he enrolled them in the wilderness of Sinai. You guys hanging in there? You following along? The rest of chapter 1 is list after list after list of the numbers. All right, They tally up the people just as God had commanded. Turn over to chapter 2 and read a little bit more. All right, Chapter 2, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, The Israelites shall camp each in their respective regiments, Under ensigns by their ancestral houses, they shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. Those to camp on the east side toward the sunrise shall be of the regimental encampment of Judah by companies. Down to verse 5, those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar. Verse 7, the tribe of Zebulun. And 10, on the south side shall be the regimental encampment of Reuben by companies. Verse 12, and those camp next to him shall be the tribe of Simeon. Verse 14, the tribe of Gad will be with them. Verse 17, the tent of meeting itself with the camp of the Levites shall set in the center of all the camps, and they shall set out just as they camp, each in position by their regiments. Verse 18, on the west side shall be the regimental encampment of Ephraim by companies. Verse 20, next to him shall be the tribe of Manasseh. Verse 22, then the tribe of Benjamin. Verse 25, on the north side shall be the regimental encampment of Dan by companies. Verse 27, those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Asher. Verse 29, then the tribe of Naphtali. And finally, verse 34, the Israelites did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. They camped by regiments, and they set out the same way, everyone by clans, according to ancestral houses. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you have to say to us. Thank you for this story in the wilderness. I pray that you would draw us into it. I pray as we consider these words that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, that was fun. So what do we make of all these lists? of names and numbers and tribes. 
I want to make a couple of observations and, and reflections about them. All right? The first thing I want to point out is just the fact that they're there. Just the fact that these lists, these names are all here. All right? It, this, I think, is significant. If we're being honest, getting through that reading was a bit of a challenge, right? You know, you get two or three weird, old, unpronounceable names in, and your eyes start glazing over. You know, you're kind of like, what? where are we going? What's going on here? You're ready to move on to some kind of story, right? Or, or to some, something practical to, to listen to. But here's the deal. Our eyes glaze over, and our attentions wander when we hear all those names. But God's doesn't. God does not lose interest when he hears these names. He's the one who put them there, right? It's like going to a big graduation ceremony, all right? The majority of it is just the reading out of one name after another after another, and whoever's attending spends most of their time kind of tuning it out and making small talk with your aunt or nephew or whoever happens to be there with you, right? But then, whenever the name of your loved one comes up, you're on the edge of your seat, and you all shout and clap and rejoice, right? God does that for every single name. God's not tuning out the ceremony, making small talk with Jesus or the Holy Spirit or something, right? Jesus is rejoicing at every single name that's being read. God is on the edge of the seat the whole time, listening to each name, rooting for each one. And this is true for us. These names and numbers show us something about the heart of God. He cares for every person. And he knows every person by name. God cares for you. And he knows you. He knows all the intricacies of your life and your story. So this is the first thing that's worth reflecting on as we consider all of these names. The fact that they're there at all says something about God. The next thing I think is worth thinking about is, is that there's a lot of them, right? There's a lot of names. There's a lot of numbers. And I think this shows us that life happens in community. Life is something that happens together, right? It's true that God rejoices at the sound of your name. But life isn't just about me and Jesus, all right? God calls us into this community called the church. And he does this in order to partner together with us so that we can partner with one another, so that we can learn from each other, and so that we ultimately can represent God in the world. Now, this word of community is kind of a two-edged sword. Some of you probably feel alone, feel lonely, and, and you're in desperate need of fellowship, 
in desperate need of support. And so that word, community, for you is, is a word of comfort. It's a word that you long to hear, and I want you to really be able to hear it. Listen, you are not alone. You're not alone. The life might feel like the wilderness. You're not in it by yourself. Just look around for a moment. There's this room full of people journeying with you. You're not alone. So as you hear this word of community, may it be a word of comfort to you. But now there are others, right? There are others of you who, well, you don't, maybe you don't need comfort or want comfort because you're already pretty comfortable. And maybe you don't feel lonely so much as you just feel busy, right? Anyone relate to that? Life is already comfortable and life is already full. And so for you, the word community is not as much a word of comfort as it is one of inconvenience, right? Like when I pause and say, look around for a moment, you're kind of thinking, wait, I have to pay attention to these people? <laughs> yeah. You know, can't I just go to church and, and get my fix and, and go on about my life? Well, well, you can, but you're missing out on something. An essential piece of what God is, is really calling us to. So living in the kingdom, community is a piece of that. You know, when the service finishes, maybe you're really quick to cross the street. But you fail to partner for peace. And so you end up missing out on discovering the kingdom. Right? We must not be the priest or the Levite who passes by the person on the side of the road, but rather that good Samaritan who stops and notices his neighbor. Whether that's our neighbor here in this community or the neighbors we encounter every day in our life. The word community may be just as inconvenient as reading the lists of names in our passage today. But it is just as much a part of life in God's kingdom as these chapters are a part of God's holy scriptures. These lists of names call us into community and they cause us to reflect on the names that we find ourselves among the people who we are called to partner with in life. So these lists, these names, show us that God cares for each person. And they show us that God calls us all into community. And these are some good spiritual, kind of devotional reflections on the text. But I want to ask the really practical question. Well, why are they actually here, right? What did Israel actually take this census for? 
And the answer is actually very practical itself. You see, the lists in chapter 1 make way for the action in chapter 2. In chapter 1, they figure out who all is there so that in chapter 2, they can figure out where all they should be. They take stock in chapter 1 so they can take steps in chapter 2. So in chapter 1, all of the people of all the tribes are named and numbered. And then in chapter 2, each tribe is told where to set up camp. Right? 2 verse 2, the Israelites shall camp each in their respective regiments. Under ensigns by their ancestral houses, they shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. You see, there are three tribes to the north, three tribes to the south, three tribes to the east, and three tribes to the west. And in the midst of all of them is the tabernacle, the place where God dwells. I've got an illustration up here. If, If this is working, we can flip forward a couple of slides here. Here we go. So here's kind of an illustration of what's being described. If you're more of a visual person, right? You've got... All the different tribes camp to the north, the south, the east, and the west. And there in the middle, you've got the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, the place where God dwells. The whole point of taking stock in chapter 1 is so they could center themselves on God in chapter 2. And this has huge implications for how we live our faith. You see, here's the context of this passage. All right? In Exodus, God delivers the people from Egypt. He miraculously brings them across the Red Sea, and then they set up camp at the base of Mount Sinai. And the rest of Exodus and the book of Leviticus is all the story of Moses up on the mountain receiving the law from God. Instructions for how to live, how to build this tabernacle, right? And that brings us to the book of Numbers. Whenever it is finally time to set out, to move on. And we might think, great, you know, they they have the word of God. And that's all they need, right? That's all they need to stay on track. Moses got the law from God. Now they can go. But the thing is, that's actually not all that they need. Moses has received the word of God, but before they can set out, they also need to take stock of themselves. This is fundamentally true of our spiritual life. We need the Word of God. But in order to truly live it, in order to, as they did, center our lives around God, we also need to take stock of ourselves. We need to take stock of ourselves. In the 16th century, John Calvin 
one of the leaders of the Protestant Reformation, began his big, great theological work, the Institutes of the Christian Religion, with these words. Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. And he goes on to describe how these two are linked. Right? In order to truly know ourselves, we need to reflect on God. But in order to truly know God, we also need to reflect on ourselves. Now, in the same century that the Protestant Reformation was going on, on the other side of the Protestant Reformation, there was a Catholic priest whose name was Ignatius of Loyola. And he is known for creating a series of spiritual exercises for growing in God. And chief among them is a practice called self-examination, or the examine for short. And this involves thinking back on every hour of the day, every moment of your life, with gratitude, for all that God has done, and also with grace for all the ways that we've failed. It's this way of taking stock of ourselves so that we can recenter our lives around God. You see, I think that we tend to think that all we need is a good Bible study, and then we'll be set. But here's the thing. You do need a good Bible study, but you also need honest self-reflection. Moses received God's word on Mount Sinai, but before Israel could set out in the wilderness, they needed to take stock of themselves, and they needed to reorient themselves around God. So how do we do this today? I mean, does this mean we need to start taking attendance on Sunday mornings and making lists of names and numbers? Probably not, although there might be something to be said for that. I'll come back to it uh, a little later. But, but no, I don't think that's what this means for us today. How can we take stock of ourselves so that we can center ourselves on God. Well, I think that Jesus actually gives us a wonderful tool for this when he told us the greatest commandments. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus says that the greatest commandments are these. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if we really think about these, they provide a pretty comprehensive rubric for taking stock of ourselves and centering ourselves around God. You see, just like the Israelites, 
set up camp to the north, south, east, and west, so we center our love on God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And just like we saw all those many names piled upon one another, we see in these commandments that spiritual life calls us into community. We are to love our neighbors, right? I think each part of these great commandments bears spending some time with. And so we need to take stock of our hearts. What does it mean to love God with your whole heart? What kinds of things stir your affections? Are they the things of God? How can we center our hearts around God? Take stock of your soul. What does it mean to love God with all of your soul? What kinds of things is it that that consume your identity? What kind of things define your soul? Are they the things of God? How might we center our souls around God? We need to take stock of our minds. What does it mean to love God with all of our mind? You know, what are the things that you set your mind on? What are the things that fill your mind day in and day out? How can we love God, center our minds around God? We've got to take stock of our strength, right? What does it mean to love God with all of your strength? How do the ways that you use and treat and, and care for your body actually affect your spiritual life? How can we center ourselves with all the things we do with our bodies around God? And then finally, there's our neighbors. We've got to take stock of our community. What does it mean to love our neighbors as ourselves? Who are your neighbors? You know, I I made the joke about uh, making a list of, of our church with names and numbers, but just last month or a couple months ago, we updated the directory. Maybe it's worth pulling that out and looking through some of the names. Your name's on there. Look at them. Pray for them. Reach out to them. Right? We've got to take stock of our neighbors. Or maybe it's not those in the directory, those in this community. Maybe it's your next-door neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your family. How can we love them well? You see, just like the Israelites. We need 
to take stock before we can take steps. Just like Jesus fasted and prayed in the wilderness before beginning his years of ministry, our own time in the wilderness of honest self-reflection prepares us for the mission of God in the world. So this is my challenge to you this week. Take some time to take stock. Reflect on each one of these categories that Jesus has given to us, heart, soul, mind, strength, neighbors. Examine yourself in each of these areas. Just like Ignatius taught in the 16th century with gratitude for all that God has done, but also with grace for all the ways that we have fallen short. And this is precisely what we're going to be doing this week. If you picked up one of these booklets, uh, we've got a series of readings and reflections this week. To every day, take some time to take some stock of ourselves. And so if you haven't grabbed one of these, pick one up on your way out and jump in. I, I encourage you to not only read the, the readings and the reflection questions in here, but pair it with a journal. Spend some time each day or each week responding, writing out uh, some of the, the answers, some of the reflections that are in here. Take time to take stock. I hope that we can reflect on these this week and reorient ourselves around God so that the glorious presence of God might be in our midst just as it was with Israel. And then we will be ready to set out on our journey in the wilderness. May it be so. Amen.